Hey guys, just a heads up, this is a not safe for work podcast, so keep it in your pants until you won't get busted. <laughs> Orgasmic Terrorist, a podcast about acceptance around becoming authentic within our sexual exploration. Orgasmic Terrorist. Hi guys, thanks for listening. I wanted to give a trigger warning for this particular episode. In this episode, we are covering topics that include domestic violence, mental and emotional abuse, sexual assault, rape, suicide, and child abuse. Please make sure that you put yourselves first. Do not force yourself to listen to any or all of this episode. We encourage everyone to take care of themselves and do what's best for them. Thanks, guys. Welcome to Orgasmic Terrace. Jenna and Sarah's here. Hi, guys. It's a new year. And I know we've been gone for a while, but we had a lot on our plate and things got overwhelming during the holidays. Did you have a nice holiday? I did, but it was very overwhelming for me. Lots going on. I think this year was hard and I'm very much looking forward to 2023. All the good stuff coming ahead. (laughs) too. So sorry, guys, that we were stepped away, but we're back with some great content. Today is going to be one of those deep days. We have a wonderful guest. Would you mind introducing her? Absolutely. Today we are doing a conversation on domestic violence and a lot of that stuff that goes with it. My niece, Tiffany, has bravely decided to volunteer and tell her story, hopes to help her heal and help anybody else that might be going through it with inspiration or just understanding. So Tiffany, thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate it. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being on here and being vulnerable and honest enough to talk about something that's really, really hard. I don't think that anybody that goes through domestic violence, I don't care the gender. I don't think that our stories are out there enough. And it certainly has so much shame wrapped around it that really it's kind of don't know where to start anyway. So we're so thankful that you're here to give people voices, give yourself a voice and let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. Thank you. That's what I'm looking forward to. I think I mentioned to you guys, as long as my story or just sharing my experience even kind of opens up one person's eyes of a situation that they might be in currently, then to me, that's a success because I was so young and naive and didn't really understand what was going on. And it's been eight years since I've been out of that. I think it feels like yesterday. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think sometimes it just takes a little bit of self-reflection and getting new tools. And we definitely have a little bit more of an open forum these days, in my opinion, of speaking about like the Me Too movement. And I don't know if you guys have watched it yet, but that She Said movie that's out is pretty incredible. That was about the Harvey Weinstein, all the women that went through that. And it was very brave of them to come forward and speak about the trials and tribulations they went through. And things like that have been inspirational for me to want to also share. I haven't seen that one yet. I know that Sarah, did you watch the Evan Rachel Wood one, Sarah? Was that the one on HBO? HBO? Yeah. And I told you about that. Yes. That's really where this came from was Tiffany had watched the Evan Rachel Wood documentary about her, I guess I have to say, alleged abuse at the hands at Marilyn Manson and really touched her. And she's the one that came to me and asked if she could do that type of thing for herself. And of course, Sarah and I 
jumped on the chance. It's such a, again, it's abuse is crazy what it does to you and your psyche and your ability to discern what's real and what's not real. And then the shame that we have on top of it placed on us by the people that abuse us is just the silence is deafening, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It is. You know, have your voice and to be, I, I get chills just sitting here talking about this stuff because I, I, I don't think that I ever really talk about my abuse and to have you be so brave and be like, this is something that I want to do for myself and to potentially help anybody else. It's just like the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. I've got goosebumps. I'm just super proud of you for the willingness to do that. And I'm glad for the platform that we're providing today. Yes. I'm grateful for it myself. I agree with Jenna 100% suffered at the hands of an abuser. And I think it's important that we, I didn't know it was that. I didn't know the signs or how to even get out where my exit was until I got my voice in and stood up myself. And this is why I think this episode is going to be a really, it's going to be a hard one for us to go through, but I really think it's important that we talk about it and maybe get some steps that we can lean towards. We will put some numbers for individuals that need information in our show notes that we'll make sure that it's available for people to follow up if they need to as well. Absolutely. Um, Tiffany, why don't you go ahead and start and give us kind of a brief overview of what your relationships were and how you found yourself in this spot? So I was very young when I had my first son. I was 20 years old and probably one of the first major traumas I went through, not necessarily abuse, but traumas was um, unfortunately my oldest son's father was severely depressed, unbeknownst to myself or any of his family members. And a month before my son's second birthday, I was 22 years old. I came home to find him deceased due to self-infliction suicide. So there's a lot of shame around suicide and stuff like that. And then that was a really hard journey to walk through and I kind of did what's been ingrained in us of, I cried about it for a couple of weeks, but I also had this baby to take care of. And so I just put on my big girl panties and put it in a box and stuffed it down and kept it moving. And just shy of a year later, I met a man and he at the time seemed to have a lot of the same upbringing I did, a lot of the same beliefs that I did, core values. He was kind to my son at first. Seemingly very religious. Yeah, seemingly very religious. Like I think almost all of the artwork that he had at the time was religious artwork, hands praying, big crosses, things of that nature, had a good career. So he seemed stable, right? Like my whole world had been shook and rocked and I was looking for that stability. I also had that very old school mentality of you do school and then you get married and you start having kids and that life life. Yeah. That white picket fence and this man and seemed like he was going to be able to provide me with all of those things. Not that I wasn't independent. I actually had a fantastic job, made actually really good money. I mean, you're talking, this is 16 years ago. And my salary at that time was 45 grand a year, which is, was pretty big at that time. Well, you were 22 living on your own in your own apartment with a baby and had another family member living with you, helping you take care of the baby. And you did all this you're very successful at a young age. So yeah. I just want to give you props there. Always, <laughs> Thank been, you. always been my idol and inspiring to me. So your perseverance is just 
absolutely mm-hmm. legendary to me. Well, thank you. Yes. So yeah, so I mean, this person, this is the person that I went through most of my trauma and abuse with. And I thought I was going to be really safe. Again, I was young. I was naive. And I was insanely vulnerable. Like I traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. And traumatized. And that's not something that we talked about 16 and a half years ago. You didn't talk about trauma. It was very common to, even if your husband yelled at you in front of other people, you just, you took it on the chin and you kept it moving. I think you kind of need to also just chime in a little bit about how we were raised in the family and what our role as women in the Mm -hmm. family was, which was more subservient type. Yeah, we definitely were. I mean, we were subservient women by this point too. I mean, I think I was like 12 or 13 when my dad married a Hispanic woman and it was very much taught to me. You serve the men first, you do all the cooking, you do all the cleaning and you wait to be called upon was a very big thing. And you never disrespected and you never talked back. And while, yes, I still kind of believe in respecting, I mean, I do believe in respecting your elders, but I just have boundaries now. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's like, you know, now I'll tell my father, no, that's, that's cute. But no, I don't, I don't have to do that for you anymore. Right. But yeah, I think, I think it's also prevalent when you have religion as a foundation, religious people that the children are raised seen and not heard and women are raised to serve where they yes. to, to serve. Which is wild to me because all of us are strong, independent women. And all of that was also to me raised like that's what is expected. You will not be anything less, but then you are less to your male partners. Right. Mm-hmm. So we always like, had this duality yeah. going on in our whole always. life. I think I've been diving into that a lot lately, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's true though. But so I picked a person that was very similar to what had been shown to me as the type of male that you should be with and appropriate partner. Yeah. Yeah. Appropriate partner. There was a chunk of time where I think everybody really liked him. He really did fit in on both sides of my family. So my parents have been divorced since I was two years old. So I've always been going between these two different worlds, if you will. And so he fit on my mom's side of the family with the hunting and very active and got along with all of the males on that side of the family. And then on my dad side, it was, he was also military. So he fit in military wise and he was always really good about. He made an effort. Yeah, he did make an effort and he made an effort to really care about the family for a while. But even prior to getting married, there was definitely some red flags. Unfortunately, some of those red flags can't really um, speak on, but it's just not something that I feel comfortable sharing at this time. Yeah, fair. And so there was definitely some things, but I also felt so safe with him. Like I trusted him. I felt so safe. He really, at this point, was kind of trying to help me with my son. And I was having some pretty major behavioral problems with him. And it was exhausting. I will share one of the private stories of Jenna and I, as I did live with Jenna for a little bit after my son's father had passed away. And this kid, we would have to like put him in a corner and chairs around it to just keep him in this little space and just let him go buck wild and have these 
completely ostentatious tantrums. So it was very taxing. It was a lot. I was tired. I had been through a lot. (laughs) And so it was very easy to lean in to this strong partner and this man who had a house at 22. He was two years older than I was. He had owned his house for a couple of years by the time I met him, but bought his house at 22, had been in the military for several years at that point, had a career path that he was going into that was going to be lucrative. So here I am following the storyline of, oh, here's Prince Charming coming. Yeah, I was going to say he white knighted you. Yeah, he, he came definitely. in and he swooped in and he was everything that you needed yep. and everything to all people in our family, especially our bond, I feel like he really took the time, mm-hmm. put in the effort and got away with it for a long time. But then yeah. the carnival showed up and all the red flags were there. Yes. <laughs> for me anyway. And, it was and too that's late. kind of that's okay. where it started. Once, once other people started recognizing it, I feel like that's, that was the cue that he started to call you from the family. Right. Really. Right. Then it was kind of like, I was just so enamored with him at this point, I could even have Jenna could be saying, "Mm," and I'd be like, but you don't see all the sides of him. You're only seeing this one ugly side. He had this really bad drunken night one time. And that was when I think I realized he had a problem with alcohol or I don't think I had ever really experienced an alcoholic in my life until him. I didn't really understand what those signs were at the time. At this point now, I'm only 23. I just chalked it up to, you had too much to drink one night, you know, a little too much whiskey or whatever. Yeah. I didn't recognize a lot of the morning signs. If you're not raised with it, I think it's interesting. One of my partners that I had for four years, he was an alcoholic and you don't see the signs if you're not raised with it. Like in my family, my father didn't even drink Mm -hmm. more than two beers ever. Never saw my dad drink ever. From a big drinker's no. family. Right. And, and, or drugs. And so I didn't know signs of drug abuse or any of that. I now know the signs and I now have dealt with it in my life. It is a big thing, I think, that we weren't exposed. So we kind of, with this Serbian thing, and now we're introducing some substance abuse that you just, you don't know. You just... Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that's their personality. Or maybe this is a new part of the personality I didn't see when I was dating them. Well, and to be fair, I was 23 and I had my son when I was 20. So I didn't really go out and party. I never had the college experience. I went to like vocational school, but I didn't go and do the sorority thing or anything like that. We didn't have our 20s to party. We didn't have our 20s to party. I don't think any of us did. We we were all young mothers. So we had these tiny to take care of. Yeah. I didn't start really like, damn it, I was robbed until I was late 20s where I was, my kid's already nine, yeah, seven, whatever. And I didn't get to, I didn't do that either. Agreed. So Same thing here. It's something yeah. that you don't. That's where it was like weird for me. I mean, my stepfather drank, but my stepfather was amazing to me growing up. My bio dad, I honestly, I don't think I ever saw him drink growing up. I barely see him drink and I'm almost 39 years old. He just really doesn't. And yeah, if he does, it's like a margarita when we're out or we have a like family gathering. And even then he just is, is not big into it. My stepdad, he enjoyed his beers. Don't get me wrong, but he would come home and he would still be doing the things. And yeah, I'd have a couple beers in the evening, but nothing, at least to me, that I would equate to alcoholism. I know there was some things later on when I was moved out of the house, but that did not impact me to me. I think what took me so long in my marriage was I really did not understand that he was 
a severe alcoholic. In fact, as we were divorcing, this motherfucker had the audacity to say to me, if you really only knew how many times I was blacked out, you would be even more upset than you are. Wow. Like, the blackouts yeah. that I did know of was usually when abuse was happening to me or to those around me. It wasn't just me. He was abusive too. He he got brave towards the end there of he didn't give a shit who was around. If he had something to say to me or my oldest son or he didn't like what Jenna fucking said to him, he made it known. Then he started disrespecting one of the, we'll just call them the elder of our family. All like for everybody else, I'm like, don't, don't do it to them. But for me, I'm like, I can take it. And so that's what I did for a long time. Part of the thing was too, is like everybody in my family has been divorced and I really never wanted to get divorced. So I took a lot and I wanted to give my oldest son a stable life. So there was a lot that I took and endured. I knew it wasn't necessarily right. And this isn't how life should be, but I never understood that it was abuse and that I was being groomed to a certain degree conditioned. I like to use conditioned a little bit more than groomed for me personally. Jesus Christ. I think Jenna and I went like a year without talking after a certain point because he just really wanted to isolate me and put me in this bubble. If we could go live somewhere on a hill and never have interaction with either of our families, it wasn't even just geared towards mine. It was, that was the goal. I lost a lot of friends. I was not as close with my family and family was everything to me. Yeah. I love the word condition, by the way. I think I've been listening to a lot of different types of podcasts and I don't hear that ever being used. It's always groomed, but I think actually you're so spot on with the word condition because I don't think my partners were cognizant. I mean, they were themselves, but I don't think they were cognizant of that they were grooming me to abuse me. I think I was just getting conditioned and get used to this and then giving up my boundaries as well. But I love that word. I just want you to say that was, that's an amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think grooming is a little more intentional as you're saying. For me, I feel like condition is this is what's acceptable to me and you're going to hop on board with it. You're, you're going to deal with this no matter what. And I mean, I guess they could be used either way. I think there's elements of both that we're talking about that are very appropriate here. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it doesn't, I don't want to, it doesn't matter. Whoever's listening to this, if you feel like it's grooming, then it's grooming. If you feel like it's conditioning, then it's conditioning. For us to explain in our own language, I'm going to just back you on whatever feels the best to you. So thank you for explaining that for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So there was just a lot of things that happened in there and it took a long time and then things got more physical. And then there was bedroom aspects of it. There was physical aspects of it. There was a lot of mental, emotional abuse. And I think that's why I had such a hard time understanding what was going on for a while. Cause you really feel like you're crazy. It was a gaslighting pro. Yeah. A gaslighting pro. To and come but, between Tiffany and I in our entire lives, one person's done it and yeah. it, and it was him yeah. wow. and it was, it was insane. It was absolutely Absolutely. insane. Yeah. And he did that with a lot of people. I have a really good girlfriend who I actually met through him. They lived just a couple doors down from us and they were the same age as us. And her and I were so close, so thick as thieves. And she actually became a big part of our family as well. Jenna and her still speak to this day. And she had to stop talking to me because I had completely changed into this other person. And I was so defensive about him. Oh, I know he did this, but this isn't how he is all the time. 
And while that might be true, there was like 80% of the time where he really just was that piece of shit. But you're talking about the shame that goes around it too. And then being so young and not knowing how to get out of it. Like Mm -hmm. you have consistently told people for eight years or X amount of years that you're fine, that we're wrong, that blah, 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 blah. And then what do you do? How do you come back to these people and be like, I don't know what to do. You guys are right. I need help. Nobody believed me when I was actually leaving him. Right. It was the second time I left him. Wow. Nobody, wow. nobody believed me. I mean, it I took still, me three times to leave mine. So yeah. I, you know. I still have a friend. We've kind of chatted. And that was one of my other friends that also became pretty close with my family and helped me leave him the first time. When I allowed him to come back after, I don't know, six months of sobriety. And I think he was doing some work. Alleged sobriety. Yeah. Alleged (laughs) sobriety and work. Meanwhile, later I come to find out that there was listening devices in my house. There was a tracking device on my car. Yeah, we had. No, I don't think there was cameras. I thought he had cameras in the. There was um, externally. So I think he could monitor those. But he did share with a former partner that I have bonded through trauma with that he actually put listening devices in the fire alarms that you have in your house. He had listening bugs in every single room of the house, had mirrored my cell phone. I mean, really invasive, over-the-top stalking things. That's an absolute element of control. I mean, my ex did the same thing where I found I had a keystroke logger on my computer on my work computer, I had the same thing with my phone. There was nothing that I could do that he didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just, Whoa, yeah. A, and it, yeah. look, I, I was not a fucking angel <laughs> and I definitely got busted a couple of times doing inappropriate shit. I'm going to stand on my own there and just accept my responsibility for that. <laughs> but that was not why I was getting abused. It right. didn't help in my abuse once I was so desperate for love and affection that I Kind of went and found it other places inappropriately. I'm going to be very honest about that. But like I didn't. I was not doing anything. (laughs) I didn't feel like I had a choice. Like I. Yeah. I just felt like he hated me so much. I feel like to your point, Jenna, I think sometimes when you're in a relationship like that, when they're doing it like that, then it's kind of like, well, I might as well just do it anyway since you you continue to. Well, I, it was that. five years of you're cheating on me, you're cheating on me, you're cheating on me, you're cheating on me. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and then it's finally, well, what the fuck? What's it matter? Anyways, yeah. Well, it turns out it does matter. And I'm sorry, but when you are whittled down to nothing and you mm-hmm. are bare bones and you are told that you're not enough. First panic attack I ever had, this man would come home. And if I had done anything, that was not acceptable. I didn't have dinner ready. I didn't do this. Now, keep in mind, full-time worker, worked just as much, if not more, mm-hmm. right? Traveling, young kid, all the stuff, house, still did all the inside chores, still cooked, still all the stuff. He would silent treat me and literally mm-hmm. act like I did not exist. Like mm-hmm. walk in the door, he would go around me. Zero like emotion. A, like Water around a stone and just. I lived with you and watched it. It was the weirdest thing. He would talk to Tiffany. It would be fine to talk to Tiffany. But for me, I did not exist. The level of fucking terrorism. You know what though? So he wouldn't even say anything to me about anything going on with you guys. But then you would be out of town or whatever. And then he would just assume that you were telling me. 
what yeah. we, you guys were like having a hard time or whatever, but y'all were Never. both so good about hiding it. And then it would be like, so I'm sure you've noticed things between your aunt Jenna and I, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, we're not all far apart in age. We're within years of each other. So it's not. Well, six for you, plus. for me, 12 for you, for him. Oh, okay. So, but it's not like this thing of my much older aunt, like a t- typical aunt niece, you know, make it's more of a sister dynamic for you and I, and it would be approached to me with, well, I'm sure you've noticed things aren't really the greatest between us. And I would just be like, I really don't know what you're talking about because you would compartmentalize and you would shut yourself down. And I'm tying this back together. I'm going to tell you why, because you have always been an example to me. <laughs> and so example here. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it what it is though. I, learned from you and I watched you do it with him. Mm-hmm. And then I turned around and did the same thing in my marriage. I'm fine. Everything's great. Yeah. We're fine. Big blow up. Tell you about all this bullshit. Never mind. We're going to work it out. I, I don't need any help from you. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, I had, we were going to move home. out and I was like, yeah. no, I'm good. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, and then I had to move out because he asked you to kick me out. That was bullshit. Told you know, my niece I did. that I, did. I told him I'm, to kick her out. Yeah. And I, I, I was threatened that. And Tiffany loved this man, mm-hmm. loved this man. And he made her believe that I was the one that wanted her out mm-hmm. and made me tell her and take responsibility. I was like, life, no. when I was 16. Wow. 18. 18. Because I remember I came out and nannied. You nannied for me. Yeah. 18. Yeah. I think 18. So then I get bumped out of this house. And this kind of goes back to what my mindset was and my age. So I'm only 24 when this is all going on. So she's 30. Mm -hmm. And now I'm with this other man. And that's really what pushed me further to lean into him. And she needed time to focus on her marriage and stuff. Well, and the thing is, is you, you actually ended up marrying the same man. Yeah. I was just going to say, and then because of the silence, then I was just like, well, she's not really paying attention to me anyways. And I honestly went and married him behind her back. Wow. Yeah. And then we had like a phone conversation and I could tell she was irritated. And I was like, I can literally feel you hating me through the phone. (laughs) And she fucking threw her phone across her car. Like, I did. I chucked my phone up into the dash and Mm -hmm. picked it back up after I breathed. And she goes, did you just fucking throw your phone? I was like, "Yeah." yeah. Yeah. So that's just a little bit of a tangent, a little bit of back history or whatever, but it's kind of what put me in this, not that I'm blaming anything. I'm saying it's examples no, it, of people yeah. that were in my life and women. And this is like how we dealt with things. I did actually have an aunt. I'm not going to say what side of the family, but she was in a very abusive marriage and she was very quiet. I didn't know about it for a long time either. I'm not supposed to. She's 12 or 13 years older than I am. My mom's the oldest, but she was in one. And then all of a sudden it was just like, I'm getting divorced. He's going away. And I'm like, I don't understand because that guy had been in my life since I was born. And and then it's, oh, well, he was doing this and he was doing this. And I'm like, but I had no idea. And it's because we're all quiet. That's well, what I'm trying to We're all quiet thing and is, we're scared. It's, it's so shitty as a survivor of all of these things that we're discussing today that when we hear another person come out, the immediate thing is, but I didn't see it. Right. Knowing goddamn well, nobody saw our shit. Right. But that's the first thing is it's so hard on the survivors to say, like when I, when I finally left, no one believed me. 
No one believed anything that I oh, had to say. Yeah. You had to tell me even a whole bunch of stuff that you went yeah. through. It was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because he tried to turn he me do that. You. He was yeah. such a good guy. But, you know, no. <laughs> no, that's what they want you to think. And that's what they get you to think. Thankfully and- for me, I think by the time I left, everybody was already pushing me to leave. His family included. Sisters. Yeah. Parents. He treats you worse than a dog. Things of that nature. Like at this point... He had unraveled so hard that everybody fucking saw it, saw him for who he was, or at least had somewhat of a decent picture of who he was at this point. And they were like, yeah, you need to go. But I don't think anybody believed me for a while. I mean, I think a lot more of us saw the potential for it and figured out. I mean, a lot of us were, or at least me, I was intimately involved in your marriage. Like I saw a lot of stuff where I was like, no. This is not okay. Right. Physicalness, the verbal abuse against myself, against you, against family members. It was, it was a lot. But I, again, when you're in that phase of going through it, what do you, it's, it's just, it's, you can't get mm-hmm. out. You can't see the forest for the trees and it's, you're still rationalizing and you're right. still, cause you're told it's your fault. This yes. stuff is happening because you're not good enough. You're yes. not doing what you're supposed to do. So you are making me do this to you. Mm -hmm. If only you could just be smart enough to not do these things. I keep telling you. Mm -hmm. I didn't keep telling you the right way. I didn't have the house clean enough. I didn't make his favorite meal as good as I used to. And and you don't care. Yeah. He's not important enough. You're not doing your job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing my, even again, same as you full-time job. And I had a second child with him. And I was 25 when my second child was born. So again, now I have a five and a half year old and a newborn. I feel like when our son was born, he was actually pretty fucking incredible about that. Were you in the, I can't remember, you were in the delivery room with that. I was in the delivery room and he was very amazing. That's why I said it was really hard to, there's all this good and all this stuff. I have to tell you now, I've been away from him as long as I was married to him. And I have a hard time remembering any of the good shit because the aggressiveness and the narcissism and the abuse and the parental brainwashing and manipulation still happens to this day. Anytime I even talk about where there was a good time or a good memory, I kind of want to vomit because I'm like, he doesn't fucking deserve that. I feel that so fucking hard. Sarah, you've got to have moments of that too, where you've kind of snapped to of, well, at least we had like this and he was a good this, or he did this well. And then I just immediately want to just break my tongue with bleach. Yeah. Just, oh, you don't deserve any of that shit. None of it. Right. But it's the rationalization. I've done it with my partners where I rationalize their behavior and think it's okay. But also part of me is I'm not going to ever change them. There's nothing I can do to change that behavior. They didn't honor myself at the time to say, I didn't deserve that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't deserve to have to walk on eggshells or to be hit when something happens. I totally get it. I totally sympathize. This is why I'm glad we're having this conversation about abuse and everything. There are other elements in your relationship that I thought that we would all bring out. You had a sexual component that I think is an important factor. I would love to hear your story in regards to that, if you don't mind, if we can bring that out, because I think that's also a key factor. I will let you share your story. Thank you. No, so I think it was probably two or three years ago, 
I really just started thinking about some things. And honestly, I believe that's when Jen was going through her, her, how do you say it? Somatica and my coaching. Yeah, your coaching coaching and you were sharing some of the work that they have you do. And it took me a long time to realize. I remember being in the moment of some things and being like, this is not right. This is not okay. But again, in my 20s, doing sexual explorations, enjoyed some things. But there was definitely like we tried BDSM stuff. And so the tying you up and at one point there was the electric shock and some of the things I know, it would be introduced like that extreme. It would be, I went to the sex store today and this is what we're going to do. And if I told him no, it would turn into world war three and how bad of a wife I was. And I'm so boring and vanilla. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to go somewhere else where I'm going to find it. I was very much shamed or conditioned to you will do this or I'm going to do it somewhere else. So what I felt like when you were going through this, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it was definitely the last time when he moved back in Mm -hmm. and you guys seemingly were, he's coming off of, yeah, the sobriety thing. And I have been in an open relationship the entirety of my marriage to who I'm married to now. And Obviously, Tiffany and I being so close, she's been privy to that. She's known about that. And Mm -hmm. so that was a conversation I felt like was latched onto not by you, but by him. Mm -hmm. And so to me, when it really started to become apparent was that last like six months to a year where it, it was, I was like, don't do this. Don't do an open relationship to try and fix your marriage. Don't fucking don't do any of this. It's just going to exacerbate the problems that you already have. Yeah. Well, that was definitely, I feel like the last, that was like the last. So it started with like more dominant. Well, yeah, it started with one of the first things he did. There would be the tie up or there was like a pillowcase over my head was fucking normal. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. And I mean, fully over the face, pulled behind and I would have to tap out can't really say a safe word. And there was a lot of time he really enjoyed choking and really like, again, a a pillowcase over my head was very normal and it made him happy. And quite honestly, it was just one of those things. And I know you've spoken about it before, Jenna, where you just like fuck through it Yep. because you just, you just want it to be done. Like no enjoyment on my part whatsoever. That man really could have given a shit less whether I orgasmed or was at least enjoying it or not. There was times where, and I believe it started with my pregnancy, I was forced to bend over the bed so that it was just the back of me because he was so disgusted with how I looked in my pregnancy. And he would have a laptop sitting there on the bed going through just a plethora of porns. And I would have to sit there and take it until he would come. Wow. Same thing with the pillowcase. It was just doing that until he would come. And then one time he decided, well, I want to tie all these knots on you. And I complained, if that's what you want to call it. I just said, it's a little too tight. It hurts. And there was, I didn't like it. I didn't like being restricted. Don't get me wrong. I honestly do think I like being tied up a little bit, but I want to fucking be able to get out if well, I need the to. The re- point is, is there was no consent from There was you. no consent. This, this was a man taking what he wanted to take from his wife and not looking at it like I'm raping my wife or I'm sexually assaulting my wife or right. I'm whatever. And right. if he didn't do it, 
you got it twice as bad. Exactly. So which which way do you go? Do you exactly? Do, you do I just, just do I just submit it? to it or do right. I right get get punished anyways? He's still going to do it. But it's, it's like you either. It's the level of violence that I'm committing to right now. Yeah, exactly. Because I would just rather get it this way than I've learned very quickly than not saying no. I mean, there was times like I had been passed out from being suffocated with the pillowcase so hard. It was also very normal for a pillow to go over my face to where there was no breathing or my nose and mouth to be grabbed as the back of my head is being grabbed and I'm being sodomized or counted from behind like poor he he literally did ruin me for a lot of men I will never enjoy anal I will like never enjoy I well I shouldn't say never I mean but one it's time okay if it's a never though up. yeah I mean that's how I feel right now yeah it's okay one time he tied me up and it was the kind where it's like they're behind you and the ankles and the hands they're like all together or whatever and he left me there for two fucking hours Whoa. I couldn't go to the, and just left the room to go watch TV in the other room. It was all a control factor, all a power play. And I remember thinking this, I, I don't understand this. I, I can understand to a certain degree why somebody would like that element of control, but I just found it to be so degrading But God forbid if I say anything, because then I'm going to get a backhand. I was looking up really quick as as a little sidebar. I am like everything you're saying. And thank you. The the part that's fascinating is, did you both know that it wasn't until the middle of 1970s, like 1974, that there were any laws preventing marital rapes? Yeah. So it was not recognized. It wasn't recognized. And and honestly, societally, it still isn't. It still isn't. Yeah. I mean, we... Like even the last state to bring it in was Texas in 1984. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, we were Happy. in relationships and marriage in 1984. So think about it. It was not considered a rape or violation. The husband could do that to the wife. And I think that's just heartening to hear that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew any of that. I just was like, well, this is my wifely duty. This is what I'm supposed to do. And then it just continued to elevate the electroshock things. He like brought this thing home and it's like putting these things all over your body. And I was like, I'm, mm, I don't, who the fuck wants to be zapped? I'm really good. It's like some of the people that, and to each their own. I was going to say, I do, like, but it's consensual. The, the hooks <laughs> in their back and have that uh, hold on. I'm like, no fucking thanks. We're good yeah. over here. I tried it, but even at the babyest setting, I was not a fan, but then it was, okay, we'll do it to me. And, and keep, what do you call that? He, he was like a masochist, right? Like really enjoyed the pain. It was just bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. This is like not normal. Sometimes I would say like a little bit, I would like barely even throw a pellet in Jenna's way and it'd be like, Oh, that's not. And then I was like, well, we're going to keep our mouth shut then. And we're just not going to lish any, any further. And then, yeah, you're right. Like it really was when we got back together and then he wanted to do this whole open marriage thing and do a swinging thing with a couple. And we did actually meet. I did it reluctantly. I will say there was supposed to be guidelines and boundaries and all the things. And I did go to Jenna for some guidance on that, but she could tell that I was absolutely terrified and that it was not really something that I wanted to do. I was doing it to appease my husband because it was what 
he wanted. And he had taken me to a couple sex clubs and he wanted me to get into the cage of one of them where men, any person could come up and just have their way with me. And I was like, I really am not comfortable with doing that. I'm not going to lie. I kind of enjoyed going into the one room and watching the person get spanked. But if it got a little too rough for me, I was like, all right, let's go find another room. Let's go sit in a hot tub or whatever. And then the man touched his legs. So he didn't like that. I want to clarify though, too, at the sex club. So the ones that we have up here are actually very respectful. And I just want to like moderate what you said a little bit, not taking away. Yeah, they, they, they have to ask put that for your out. consent. The person right. has to ask right. for your consent. But you are told by your husband that you will do this thing. I was told I will be giving consent. Floor. Right. Yeah. It's, Whether it's I like it or not. To do that. Yeah. And the only reason I say that is because I also like sex clubs have been a no, positive. Fair enough. Absolutely. My, not diminishing thing. you. It is very, I will say like my experience there of other people wanting to play or even put their arm around you. They were super respectful about it. The only disrespectful person was my husband. That that was it. And it was, you will go and do this, whether you like it or not, you will go and lay on this table and not complain about them spanking you, even though you want to cry and die, you will have two penises in you at the same time, whether you like it or not. Thankfully, I was able to not go in the cage. I think I cried or something. And I know I went in the bathroom and threw up at one point, but we did go into one of those rooms where you can have sex. And I thought the door was closed, but the window was open so people could watch. Even so, I was just very uncomfortable. I don't like to be naked anyways. I don't even like being naked by myself. I'm just not a naked girl. It's just not a thing for me. I can be in shorts and a sports bra or whatever. Again, it kind of depends on who's around because I'm heavier, but I'm getting more comfortable with my body over the years. But I've just never really been the person that likes to run around naked. It's just not something that's been normal to me, comfortable. Oh, I run around in t-shirts. I totally get it. I'm not a dinky girl either. I have three sons. So it's like, I can't really do that. Right. And I have two. And so that was always the rule is that, I mean, they've seen me in my underwear. I still run out in my underwear sometimes. Like they can deal with it, but, (laughs) or booty shorts, like the sleep shorts or whatever. But this motherfucker goes and opens the door so that anybody can come in and have their way with, and my face down ass up is what I am. And it's dark. You can't see a lot of things. And he had it so that people could come in there if they wanted to. Well, thankfully, he finished and nobody else ended up coming in. But now I turn over and I see the doors open and I'm like, what the fuck? So there's that experience. And then there's when we finally did find a swinging couple, very nice couple. I'm actually still friends with them, to be honest. But they ended up not liking him because the first experience that we did we all played in the same room whatever it was very weird to me I was super nervous I did actually really like the wife and she's several years younger than I am and there are a couple that got married when they I think they had their first kid when they were 16 so it kind of made sense why they were doing some of this stuff they also did not get a lot of party time or whatever you want to call it time to be a young adult before they had kids so the husband and I get done and they're still kind of doing their thing. And he's, you want to go outside and smoke? And I'm like, yeah, I think the husband and I were both kind of like, 
this isn't really our jam 100%. We're just kind of here. We come back. And so we had all had a deal that condoms were going to be used. Mm-hmm. I had not been on birth control for three or four years at that point because my husband had a vasectomy. There was an agreement made prior to playing of until we all get our test results back, we're going to be safe and everybody's going to wear protection and those boundaries are going to be respected. And once we all have our results back, if we decide that we're only going to play with each other, then we can have this conversation again. Yeah, no, my husband did not respect that boundary. He, and this actually is very upsetting to me because they're still going out. It. My husband had taken his condom off while we were outside and he was now having sex with the wife with no condom. And her husband got pissed and he was like, oh, so that's how we're going to do it. Grab me threw me down and inserted himself in me with no condom. Yeah. And I'm not on birth control. Dear Lord. So I want to say inadvertently raped me. He punished me for being mad at my husband, knowing that man, he felt really bad and he was very remorseful. And we've had conversations about that. But I talked to my husband and he was like, well, who gives a shit? And I was like, I give a shit. I was violated. I could get pregnant and you don't believe in abortion. I do. I've had one. But now what? You're going to make me have somebody else's kid if I end up being pregnant? It was fucking insane to me. This is where one time I did a therapy session and colors were brought up and I started having a fucking panic attack because none of my colors or my safe words or my boundaries have ever been respected in any of these situations. And so now I'm at a point of doing some things like this. Are they things that I enjoy or are they things that I was conditioned to do and told you will fucking like it, whether you like it or not? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's Mm -hmm. a hard road. I didn't like, for me, it was much more of the mental and emotional aspect. There's a little physicality in there, not any degree of what you went through, not that takes away what I went through, but the sexual part wasn't, I've been abused sexually, like throughout my life with multiple partners, multiple different times, multiple different types. But in that marriage, I didn't have to deal with that. To listen to you, I know that we were talking during this whole time and I was just like, this is just not okay. At the time, Tiffany and I were also very tentatively getting back to talking to each other. I think this brave face you were still putting on about we're fixing it and he's doing these things and we're doing these things. And I'm just like, I don't even think you knew that story, though. No, I didn't know. Not until later did Mm -hmm. I know that story. But there was so many times where I was like, Tiffany, this is not this is not right. This is not okay." Well, yeah, then then it was like, again, that couple was very nice. Then my husband wanted to start doing a little bit more of of like the poly. Like, I want to take her out on dates. I want to. um Right. Take her away for a weekend. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is not your wife. She does not get the benefits. Privileges. Yeah. yeah, the wife privileges. And in speaking with the wife, she was just like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that that would be something upsetting. And she doesn't really sound like my husband's on board with it either. And I was like, because I just feel like there's a little bit of malice behind it. I mean, we were together and doing barbecues and they would come stay at our house or we would stay at their house and we would have our kids with us of course and all of our kids were so young and they were in very safe spaces away none of the kids knew anything that was going on everybody would be asleep the adults just had their time later on once everything is good and kosher with all of them being taken care of and it just kind of got to a point where 
my grandfather died and that was fucking absolutely devastating to me. And my husband was actually amazing about it. But I told him when we were there, because we we were still talking to the couple and kind of playing with them a little bit. And I said, I do not have the capacity for this fucking at all. Don't don't even ask me. Don't ask me to do anything with them. They want to come over for a barbecue or something. That's one thing. But I'm really done with playing for a while, if not forever. I just I can't do it. And then he tried to buy me this big fancy ring to get me. You remember that? Yeah, I got me this Ew, I forgot. beautiful $10,000 ring. And then was like, so can we start playing again? And I'm like, no, that's no, it's not. I'm just not in the headspace for it. I, this was very devastating to me. It was very devastating to the family. There was a lot of other stuff going on with our family around that point too. We had somebody with a serious illness and it was just too much for me. And I'm 29 when this is happening, 30 maybe. Right. Uh, well, yeah, I'm going to be 39. So this is all like nine years when, ago. At this point, you had started to really find your feet. Yeah. I think with wrapping your head around, I don't like this. I don't like this marriage. We've already been done once. You were much more, as when I say much more, I'm going to say like a pinprick full of information. But I at think the time, just snapped inside me finally. Like yeah, I'm, it's just, like I'm done. You were starting to talk about. You could see the cracks, I guess, from you. Tiffany can be such an island. She just is, everything is contained in this little Mount Vesuvius and it's not going anywhere. And she just keeps everything under the surface. And then this little nugget will pop out. And then depending on, I felt like the feedback you and I would have on whatever that nugget is, it would either allow you to go a little bit more or you would be like, no, 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 I'm not ready to talk about it. Right. So when this was all going on, you were starting to find your feet. I feel like I was starting to see this anger yeah. in you of I'm like, I'm, I'm fucking done. I'm done. I, you still hadn't admitted to the physical violence. You hadn't admitted to a lot. What I heard mostly that I didn't witness was just the struggle around him respecting your boundaries with this couple, how you were uncomfortable, how these things had happened. And it was a really tenuous time between you and I where I wanted to say so much, but at the same time, I know if I say everybody was terrified to say anything because yeah, because you'll go away again, go away again. Yeah. You'll leave. And I think, I think the physical violence towards my oldest son, just, it, it got out of hand and then my jaw was almost broken and I got spit in the face and yeah, it was just really bad. It, It got really, really fucking ugly. And I just was like, I can't do it. Like nothing was good enough. I could not make the sun face the right way. Nothing was good enough. And I have to tell you, I just, I was starting to see these things and I was starting to get, we were talking about moving closer down to the matriarch of our family. All of us were. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I kind of just want him to be gone. I just was so much happy. I would pray for drill weekends. I would pray for him to be sent out of town for work. And then he would come home and it would just be three days of fucking chaos. And it took my oldest son looking at me and he was nine. And he said, can we go already? Can we be done with this? Yeah. Wow. And and that's really what was like, I was like, yeah, we're done. And I waited for my husband to be on his way back out of town. And I just told him, I I think it's time we just go ahead and get a divorce. 
And I don't see this getting any better. It's getting progressively worse. I had started to become physical at that point, throwing shit at him. I gave him a black eye once. I'll fully own that. I got called a cunt for the fucking millionth time. And I cupped my hand and smacked him real good on the face, like, bop, bop, bop. And I was just immediately so disgusted with myself. I had just completely turned into the version of me that he had created. I had turned into this version of him. And I know we say that, well, he made me do it. It's not, I mean, I do feel like he made me do it. I do feel like I was pushed to that limit, but it was just, I was just so disgusted with how I felt after I became physical. I was like, I, I don't want to be in a relationship like that. I had never witnessed anything like what was going on in my marriage. It was so bad. I did see one of my fathers one time get fairly physical with one of my brothers, but the stuff that went on in my household with not only me, but my oldest son, I had never witnessed anything like this. And I was like, this is just not okay. It's not normal. I would have neighbors coming over to check, are you guys okay? I mean, this man would throw shit out of our garage into the middle of the cul-de-sac and they would hear him screaming at the top of his lungs. And I know everybody loves the word, but the word cunt for me is such a trigger because that was my husband's favorite fucking name to call me and just the most vile way. Yeah, I got, I got, yeah, I, I got you on that one. I understand. It was, it was very hard to witness all of this stuff going on, but again, like, as as traumatic and all this stuff, it's like you didn't know. We nobody knew. We knew it wasn't good for yeah. sure. You could see, like I said, the cracks coming out. But still, I mean, you still tell me stuff to this day, and it's been eight years later, and I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? Like, yeah. Holy shit! Well, I think I compartmentalized a lot of it for a long of time. And, Survival and- mode. Yeah, and You're not supposed to live there. You no, know, unfortunately, I left him, and then I was with. Another man who came in like a white knight and, oh, screw this guy. And he's so horrible to you. And he put on a really fucking good facade. Another addict. Another addict. Another alcoholic. And Mm -hmm. um, you know what my trauma response was? Well, he's not beating the shit out of me. So how bad of an alcoholic is he? Thousand percent. Wow. Yeah. That was really how I rationalized that one. As much as I say that, as quick as I married him, I fucking, I dropped him just as fast. I mean. I know I had no business getting married. I want to be very clear though on something too. Being an addict does not cause domestic violence. They do not go hand in hand. A lot of addicts people are not violent at all. Yeah. Abuse for is abuse. It's because they're an abusive person. So I just want to say that out there that we understand that not all addicts are abusive. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And my second husband was not abusive. He was just an alcoholic and immature. There was one incident at the very end when I had already told him we're going to get a divorce. Our son was only six months old. I did get, see, I'm minimalizing it again, to be very honest. I got hip checked, kind of thrown into the wall. And and I fucking laughed because I was like, did you really just do that to me? This is a person that had been very supportive and hated my first husband and hated the way that he treated the kids. But was there know, a moment in there where it's, is that all you got? Yeah. Okay. I laughed. Yeah. I mean, I did. I laughed. I was like, did you, did you really just fucking do that to me? Cause it was just so mind blowing to me. I wasn't even laughing. I don't know. He didn't scare me. I had this, I guess, chip on my shoulder after my first husband of I fucking dare you. I fucking dare you because there is a whole version of me 
that can get really ugly that you don't want to see. Yeah. I have a version of myself that I was conditioned to for a long time to become to fight back. I have to make myself bigger, right? In order to show that I'm not scared. So yeah, I, I, I did, but, and, and you know what, that the second one, he pushed the one time and his ass was kicked out the next day and has never stepped foot back into my house again since then. Which is an amazing improvement upon yeah. What we've well, both been through before. I just have like this shut off switch now of I'm I only can take your so boundary. Like how how is it shaped me today? As as soon as I started seeing the bullshit in the second marriage, I was like, Mm-mm, no, nope, I'm not I'm not doing this. I'm out. I gave opportunities, tried to do interventions, tried to get his family involved. I gave him every opportunity. I will stand by you, but he just there's no off switch. But I would say, but he's not hurting me. He's right. not hurting the kids. Yes. He's just irresponsible and not doing anything and drinking way too much or prioritizing that over paying bills or being present. We also try to try to say, well, I can change him. I can fix this or I can do this. We try to be the heroes of the moment because I think it's because we're just that type of person that we're going to take care of the situation. We're caregivers. Well, there's also that that. thing where we subconsciously, like, is he an abuser if he didn't abuse you as bad as the last one? Mm -hmm. And so it's like you have this willingness to stand by your man. And let's also say a lot of shame around, oh, my fucking God, I just got married again. again, And I'm (laughs) fucking the same goddamn guy, basically. Mm -hmm. No, Does he do this type of abuse? No, he does this type of abuse. I My first fucking wedding was in Vegas. I was six months pregnant, shotgun, Elvis, all the thing. And I didn't want to get married at all. But don't you want to not be the black sheep for a minute? Right. Can't you just do this? Can't you just make this work? Can't you, can't you, can't you get? And the shame is just so fucking unbearable. A hundred percent. I mean, he really came in hard with the big guns and really bonded with my boys. And that was fucking Not only huge for me, but huge for my family. That was really big, especially for my oldest son. He suffered a lot of abuse. And I have to tell you, there's conversations we have now. I thought for a long time I was really protecting my oldest son. And that kid fucking remembers a lot more than I ever realized. And there was things that happened that I didn't know about. I feel a lot of guilt and a lot of shame of that me. I'll I'll take all of it. I don't want anything to disrupt my children. But yeah, it's just, I think going through the things I did in my first marriage made it so that in my second one, I was like not willing to tolerate nearly the amount of bullshit that I did before. And since leaving that relationship, I've done a lot more work to really discover what are my boundaries? What will I put up with? My question is that I want to know what steps are you taking now to be the woman you are today? I mean, to me, you're a very confident, loving mother. And so I I want to know what steps you took to grow to this woman today. I think the culture shift that's happened the last few years, going through the second divorce, I really took some time for myself to just get to know myself and to be alone. It's okay to be alone. I love having a partner. I prefer having a partner, but I don't worry about being alone anymore. And I started journaling and taking more accountability and being my own entrepreneur. People like to think that being an entrepreneur only has to do with business, but 
Self-entrepreneurship is really gene yourself to do different things every day, learn and grow. I will say Jenna going through the coaching program was a huge inspiration for me. It's a lot of people coming forward with their stories. It's also been, we're coming up on eight years that I got out of the, the really bad marriage. Two years ago, that <clears throat> husband found himself again in an abusive relationship and the girlfriend he had reached out to me. And I think that working with her, her and I co-parented very well together when my ex-husband was deployed. And she really was like all about the kids. And when I had a good relationship with my former mother-in-law, she was always very positive conversation about the girlfriend that he had after our divorce and watching her go through it and then walking her through it to get out, I feel was supremely therapeutic for me. But so yeah, working working with her has just been, I don't even know, like life changing. Yeah. You will have a crazy bond that nobody's ever going to understand. So we've come into the age where mental health support and advocacy is such a thing. I've gone through my coaching stuff and I've really put in effort and work around my traumas. You're being brave enough and vulnerable enough to start talking about traumas that pop into your brain and not swallowing them whole instead of like saying your truth. You're helping his ex-girlfriend wholeheartedly, regardless of whether it helps you out or not. Yeah. And then the work that you put in on yourself for saying, getting to be okay with being alone, trusting myself and listening to my boundaries, instilling boundaries, all those things are massively critical. Mm -hmm. And I've seen such like a, this growth arc from you where even in your, regardless of your partner's status of addict or not, well, they will always be an addict. Let me be fair, whether they are currently under the influence of their addiction or if they are putting in the work and they are still an addict, but not currently partaking or falling to their demon or boundaries around that have been so different. You've gone from this reactionary person to more of a processing person where yeah. you really want to sit back and you want to listen to listen and be respectful, but you also are like, no, I can't do this. You are much more better about what your needs, desires, and wants are mm -hmm. and holding your boundaries. Yeah. Do you always hold your boundaries? No. I'm sure there's moments where you don't, but the fact that you know what they look like and that you are on it, I yeah. would say more than I've ever seen from you. And just the fact that I can say that because you don't, again, coming from these other relationships, it was so tight-lipped and everybody did everything behind the scenes and we all suffered in silence. I'm not afraid to have a voice anymore. Yeah. I felt like I was silenced for so long and not able to talk or comfortable to talk because, again, it was just one of those things. Even, even my mom has said there was circumstances where she had some abuse in a relationship, I would have never known. I would have never thought that at all. As you were just saying, having the boundaries and taking accountability and not being so reactionary. I think the not being reactionary is a really big one for me. I, I really agree. try. But then I will say by the time I do start becoming reactionary after you've poked me like five times, the thing that I'm working on now is not reverting back to that old behavior because my partner and I did have a struggle when she wasn't being sober of I would be poked and poked and poked. I would try to communicate and, and it wasn't being heard. So now I'm yelling or I'm like being big with my response. And I really did not like how I was feeling with that. And I did it a couple of times 
And then I went to Jenna and I was like, I need help. I'm reverting back to old behavior. Do you have any pointers? Do you have, is there like a book you could suggest? I just find myself being this way because I feel like sometimes when people are processors, like I am a big gatherer of information. If you were to ask anybody about me professionally, I gather all of the information and then I'm reacting and I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Personally, I'm not like that. I used to just take it, take it, take it, take it. And then now I feel brave and I'm never going to be made to feel the way I felt in my first marriage. And so now I'm working on having the healthier, um, I guess, reactions to that. I don't know how you would. Well, I think there's a big pendulum. Yeah. And I think there's a big pendulum when you come out of any relationship, you kind of always go to this far 180 of partners, right? So they're probably the same type of person and they probably share some of the same trauma, that type of thing, because we're attracted to who we're attracted to, right? right? Until we get out of that trauma response and that trauma bonding type of thing, we have work to do and our picker's probably broken, right? Mm-hmm. So my first husband was a drug addict, piece of garbage that hasn't been in our son's life since he was a year and a half. My second husband apparently paid him to go away, which I never knew. And he took the money. So I didn't even know that the ex-husband told the kid that and the kid told me, which I can't even imagine how horrible that must have hurt my son. It hurts me immensely. Say all you want about me, but don't don't ever fuck you if you're coming after my kid and purposely hurting my child. Right. But I went 180. So I went from this drug addict to, oh, guess what? Prior drug addict, definite alcoholic, but had a shit together. Career on course, very appropriate, very stable made me feel more secure, made me feel more, you are doing this wonderful thing, but then systematically shoved a wedge between me and my son, made me feel like I was the worst mother ever, couldn't live without him, couldn't go to the grocery store without full makeup and heels, pony on the arm type of thing. So you always do this swing. And I think that that's so normal. It's just unfortunate. And then where you're at now with your relationship, I've seen you come back to center that gray area Mm -hmm. that has a bit of both, but it's less chaotic. You're more willing to say, I'm upset. I know that I'm doing these things. I don't want to react the same way anymore. Listen, everybody, your trauma responses are there for a reason. Never, ever denigrate how you react. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's fight, flight, freeze, fawn. They got you through to where you are now. And mm-hmm. and as an adult and where you are now, I always say, I see you. Thank you for getting me here. But I don't think I need you anymore. I think I want to try it this other way. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much because without you, I wouldn't be here. And that's the hard part is once people, I think, start doing the work, we all think that, well, we're going to therapy and we're doing this and we're doing this other way. And it becomes this hurry up and wait thing where it's, I've been putting in this effort and I've been doing this work for two, three years. What the fuck? Well, it took 40 years or 38 years of right. that same pattern to get you to the point where you didn't want to do that anymore. So people get into this whole thing and then they're like, well, I should be cured. Well, no, babies. No, <laughs> you can't be cured of 38 or 38 years, 40 years, whatever years of trauma in a year. This is something that's going to hit you. I am processing a lot right now about my childhood abuses. I've had to come to terms with, I always saw my mom and my dad as the savior. And really, I was raised to be abused. And it didn't matter who my saviors were. Nobody came for me. 
nobody, this is my mom that I lost at 20 and I've always idolized her. It's so easy to do. I lost her at such a young age, 45 now. Yeah. But I have to now go, oh no, she knew. She knew what was happening. My dad knew what was happening. But I think it's that being brave enough and finding that self-love and making it important to you to take Mm -hmm. these steps. Like what I have been doing and the reason that I went down, I I turned 40 and I looked at my husband and I was like, I'm going to, we're going to be divorced in a year. I got to figure out who the fuck I am. I've given my identity away in pieces. I was a mother. I was a wife. I was a business worker. I was a this. I'm I'm a that. But who the fuck am I? I keep doing all these things for everybody else. And it wasn't until I was really like, I'm like, I'm lost and I, I need to figure this out. And so it's been now five years of me consciously. And I have to tell you, I think I'm more emotionally a wreck than I was before. Cause when I compartmentalize it, it was so easy. Now it comes to the surface and I'm like, ew, emotions. Oh, I got to sit in this. I have to process this. I have to accept and acknowledge what I'm going through that has really started to make that difference for me. And Tiffany, I feel like the same. And Sarah, hundred percent. Yeah. I would agree oh, with yeah. you too. A hundred percent. I mean, I have my own trauma, my own abuse and I still currently live in a controlling situation. I feel the trauma responses, but I do appreciate how you're, how you say to thank it and then go, how about I try it this way? Mm -hmm. I I don't want to react like I used to. I want to be the adult. I want to control my emotions. I don't want my emotions to control me. I do want to step back and go breathe. Now let's address this or breathe and walk away for a day and then address it. Sometimes you can solve the problems with time. I remember the saying that never go to bed, never go to sleep mad. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to. Mm -hmm. I guess to just to add on to what we were talking about, about how you don't want to be this way anymore, but, and then going back and forth about how long trauma takes to build versus how long it takes to heal. The honest answer is a lifetime. It takes a lifetime to heal. You may never heal fully around any of the things. What's super important to your healing And around those traumas is just be kind and gentle. When you do slip up and you do go back to a pattern that you no longer want to use, it's okay. It's not reason to self-flagellate, make yourself feel worse. You're just going to perpetuate that trauma. So if there is a situation where I'm with a partner and I am find myself in an elevated thing, I, I fully well know that's not okay. Don't have emotional conversations. Sometimes it's just damn inevitable and you're, no one is in possession of their faculties at all time to set. And if you are, you're the Dalai Lama and God bless you. (laughs) But you know, anytime I have a moment, it's always an opportunity for growth for me. Right. I exactly know what you're talking about. I have been applying that lately that I mess up. I say the wrong thing. I react and then I'm, I'm stuck with, oh crap, why did I say that? I think that's why I love our tagline that says, go be good humans, because I, I just want everybody to realize we are going to make mistakes. We're never perfect. And yet we can come together. Yeah, I think we're already like human beings in general are messy. <laughs> we're just messy things. We're all prisoner to the generational trauma. My trauma is my mother's, my grandmother's, my great grandmother's, my grandfather, my father. Trauma is handed down generationally. And I think we're not taught better, right? We're taught a specific way of raising our children, even if it's not the best way to raise them. We're taught a specific way of handling ourselves, even Mm -hmm. if it's not the best way for us to handle ourselves. We're taught all these things from our parents and from our our relationships and society and all these things that 
when we start on this path of this journey of getting better and we fail, it's an immediate carte blanche fail. We suck. We couldn't even get this right. And it's just used so much to hinder ourselves from the growth. Me being more messy now, five years in, I don't, I don't appreciate. I don't like, I wish I wasn't so emotional. I wish I wasn't this, but at the same time, what I'm doing is I'm processing all of these things that I have swept under the rug and made better. I'm making my abuse better for the people that abuse me by shutting the fuck up. Right. And I'm not going to do that. I don't Ooh, need I like to talk about or give them platform. I want to talk about how I survived it. And I'm not saying that I wasn't abusive. I'm not saying that I wasn't right. inappropriate. I, I own my shit. That's also the part of it is, is so often we do this thing where we're like, I did this because, mm -hmm. right? And it's not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not, it's not a pawn off unless you're like truly a narcissist and you have no responsibility or whatever. But we do minimize the, the input that we had in that relationship or in this moment because we're embarrassed, because we're already shamed, and because all of these other things happened along with this situation. So now for me, it's acknowledging I sent naked pictures to people that were not my partners. I was not good. I have a million reasons for doing so. And at the time, it was survival mode, and it's part of what helped me survive. Is it inappropriate and not okay? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not proud of a lot of the things that I do, but I will tell you I'm going to own every fucking piece of it, sloppy, mm -hmm. disgusting, or whatever. And when I see it come out in a way now, I want to honor it and I want to hug it and cuddle it and tell it I love it and that no one's perfect. I think anger is another thing that people don't like to talk about that is so key and healing mm -hmm. around this stuff. Like when I've right. gotten, yeah. Yeah. When yeah. people take your anger away, they take your autonomy away. Wow. Do you understand? It has been in the last three months I've realized that I use my coaching and my ability to be this calm, centered, Zen person to allow me to take away my own anger. And let me tell you, I'm fucking pissed about a bunch of shit, right? <laughs> but I don't say it because see, I've been taught different ways. I'm woke. No, anger is very appropriate. Anger is yeah. an important healing emotion. It's okay to get angry, whether that's at yourself, at the hands of the person that did this stuff to you, whatever that is, anger needs to be brought back into the conversation. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to have that emotion. Well, I think one of the things that you teach also that has been supremely helpful is the sit in that disappointment. Hard to do. Even with Hard yourself. Yeah. Even with yourself, if you're angry about, if I'm upset with myself about how I've handled a situation with my current partner, or I feel like I've been pushed, like I tried calm and calm and calm and calm. And now it's like, I'm exploding. And then it's, whoa, where did this come from? And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? Why are you so dumbfounded that you did this five times and I was calm five times and now I'm not calm the sixth time. And then I'm upset with myself for reverting back to old behavior. Yeah. But it's, it's okay. It is okay to be angry. There is a way to go about it. A thousand percent. I'm not time, saying that yeah. any sort of abusiveness is okay. I'm saying anger for anger. You are allowed right. to be angry or angry that this person has hurt you. You are allowed to be angry that you're in the situation that you're in. You're allowed to be angry over anything. It's, it's not compartmentalizing it to make it go away and mm -hmm. come out in another way. It is, I'm fucking angry and sitting in that emotion and listening to your body and seeing where it's telling you to go. 
I mean, just the other day, I, I had a moment where I was so angry and my first instinct was to share it, just to get it out, yeah. verbalize it, express it. And I'm not as angry now about it. I mean, I'm disappointed. Mm -hmm. I can go to another emotion, but I'm not angry anymore about it because I process and I still want to scream sometimes when I get thrown back in that situation. I'm disappointed that I can't fix it or I can't change it or this happened and all of it. Some traumas you heal from so fast. Some it takes a lot of time and it doesn't matter. You could have this teeny tiny little trauma that you think is so stupid and minute that might take you two years to get over. And you might right. have had this big, horrible physical or whatever altercation and you were like processed it one and done. Fine. But it's, it's honoring yourself and your feelings and your emotions and really truly accepting it and acknowledging it as how I'm going to heal myself. And then right. in the moments when those old trauma responses come back and you react in a way that you now know better, you have more tools, being kind and gentle in yourself again and going, yeah, I could see like, bummer. I'm really sorry that this mm -hmm. is what happened. And yeah, I could see how you're frustrated and I still love you. I envision my, my past when I'm doing this is whatever, like if maybe it's a little girl and she comes and sits in my lap and I give her love and I just let her talk to me and I just... I already know because I'm here, right? I survived. I already know what happened. What made it a trauma is in the moment I was unable to communicate. No one heard me. Or maybe I was too young and I didn't have the language or, 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 or whatever that is. I know I survived. And all I want to do is give my little that space to be heard. And who mm -hmm. better to hear them than who we are now? Because that's the key step in starting to love ourselves and making that revolutionary change to, I don't like this anymore. I want to try these other things. Right. Right. Because no one can advocate for you the way you can. No one can love you the way that you can. And it's so weird because anybody at the hands of abuse, especially the mental and emotional, we don't think we're worth it. Like we've been told we're not worth it for so long. So then to start having these positive emotions about, oh, well, I'm not going to put up with that. Mm -hmm. To not immediately go, well, this is what you deserve though. Now to go. You're so confused Ooh. when you're in the middle of it, though, too. Like, one of the ways I like to explain it is I would feel like I was getting, like, shaken. Or a great example is a pintail on a donkey, right? You spin the person, spin the person, spin the person. Now walk straight and go pin the tail on the donkey or whatever. That's how I would feel. Like, it would be, like, just being gaslighted and gaslighted and gaslighted, spun around, shaken, and then it's okay, now act normal. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Like, Then you start questioning yourself and you start questioning your integrity. I think one of the things that helped me is as I walked away from that first and most tumultuous marriage was I really started taking back control of that. And then I thankfully became more successful in my career as well. And then getting the validations and the positivity that I was from that, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not crazy. Like that guy had me thinking I was so crazy for so long and just yeah. so irrational and just didn't know what I was talking about. And that really was not the case. I'm smart. I am beautiful. I am worthy. I know what I'm talking about. I'm well respected. People seek me out in my industry. I have amazing relationships in all other facets of my life, it's only this one area where this person just tried to belittle me and shame me and make me feel small. And yeah, you do. You just kind of have to take back control of that 
situation. And I think that's one of the ways that I've been more successful in is thankfully, I just kind of started taking my frustrations out and focused on my job and just became more successful in that. And I feel like that has helped me come out on the other side of this journey and continuing. Does it have to do with confidence that you finally, that you're developing these confidences to... It's funny, Sarah, you might think that, but I always felt like I was a confident person, except in that relationship. That was the only one that, and, and I was confident in that relationship. And I'll tell you right now, I was a very devoted wife. I was obsessed with my husband. I loved my husband. I looked at him like he was just the most glorious thing in the whole world. I didn't realize that my confidence had been slowly sucked away from me. And I was questioning myself, the needing to repeat the apologies or the people pleasing, people pleasing and fawning. It's it's saying anything and everything in the moment to make it all right for them. Not for I feel the need to over explain because I'm not being heard. And it really wasn't until a conversation with Jenna where I was like, well, fuck, I didn't know I was doing that. I remember that actually you kept, yes, without going into detail, there was a conversation with Tiffany where I was like, I heard you. I heard you. Mm-hmm. I understand. And it, and it it would hit her in the face and it would kind of like, I could see it live, like me telling, I think I got it, would bounce off. And she, so it's very circular. A lot of times when we're talking about our trauma, it becomes very circular. And, and it's because we've never been validated before. It's because we've never mm-hmm. felt like we were heard. So I was, Tiffany, I hear you. Is there something else that you feel you're not imparting to me that you think that I don't understand? Because I'm telling you, I hurt you. And it was like this, oh, fuck. Like I've been saying the same thing for 20 minutes and you're agreeing with me. And I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. I didn't know how to not argue. And there was nothing to argue. I was like, you're valid. I hear you. And Sarah, you've said the same thing. Yeah. Your sister, I think you said in a prior podcast was like, or a friend of yours was like, you're valid, baby. And you're like, holy shit. No one's ever fucking told me that. It's so weird. Yeah. When somebody finally does that. My sister, she had a partner, was the person to ever say we needed to be validated. This is the one I was talking about. You made that very poignant in one of our prior podcasts where I was like, oh, yeah. And it really, that's the hardest part is, is I think part of what clouds us from being able to move forward from the trauma is, A, we're telling our stories for the first time. And we're, we're not used to being validated. We're not used to being heard. We're not used to being held space for. People are showing up for us now, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so when you get in that, all you're used to is the repetitiveness of what you used to have to do to get this point across. And it can be two things. If you have somebody that is overwhelmed by what you're saying, it could be the content, it could be whatever, maybe your communication styles or it is, it could scare them away, right? Because they don't know how to hold you. They're, they're, what, what cup am I giving you? I'm not, I'm not sure. And if we feel for a second as the trauma person that's talking about our traumas, that this pulling away from whoever we're trying to communicate to, it's bad on both sides. Immediately right. you suck back up into who you were and immediately they're, they're not safe. And mm-hmm. so who is safe? If you thought that this was this person of yours and they've always been this person, but they can't hold space for you in this one moment, it's very off-kiltering, right? So it's it's important for us to be told by our people that are holding this cup for us, that are showing up for us, like what our boundaries are around these conversations. It wasn't until I literally was telling Tiffany, I, you've literally said this to me 10 times, babe. I've heard you. 
what is it that you think that I'm not hearing? You have to have people that are willing to have these conversations. And then it was also Tiffany's, I might say this, or I might react this way when she was coming out of it. And so if I do, maybe would you dig a little deeper? One of the best things that I did with my trauma healing journey is I tell on myself. Mm -hmm. So I will say, hey, if I do this, I'm doing this. If I am staring off into space, I'm disassociated. I need you to put a hand on me. And this is for me. Everybody has their own stuff. So I don't want to make it my well, no, way. I think that, yeah, I, I don't think I was super aware. I mean, I always knew I liked, of course, I like pleasing people. Of course, I like taking care of them and stuff like that. I don't think I truly understood what people pleasing was until it was a, a conversation with you. And then I was like, I, I didn't realize that was a trauma response. And there's actually a really great thing I follow on Facebook. I think she's called like the holistic healer or something like that. And a lot of, I think I told you about it, Jenna, a lot of the things that she posts seem to coincide with um, a lot of your, your vernacular that you use and were taught or nomenclature, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Of, um, you know, like, if if you are responding this way, it's because when you were a child, this is the trauma that happened around you. And it's funny because 90% of the time I read those things and they're always like, as a child, you were shown that this was healthy and blah, blah, blah. And I'm always like, no, my first marriage showed me that. Like, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't my childhood. It doesn't matter how you got there though. And, and right. actually I argue with you all the time, Tiffany, about your childhood and the trauma and why you're willing to put up with the shit that you were willing to. I sat you next know, to you on yeah, that step no, waiting for your dad yeah, to show we, up too. Yeah, we still, no? yeah, for sure. No, I did have, I did that... have a father not show up. I do think that a good way I've explained or come to realize is I feel bad for my son, my middle son that I have to share with the abusive husband is you have to kind of like create two different versions of yourself. You have like the version of yourself when you're at your mom's house and then you have the version of yourself when you're at your dad's house. And depending on what was going on, that was how you acted when you were there. Yeah. Um, like literally I have 17 personalities. So my husband doesn't need another girlfriend. Right. <laughs> like, Which exactly. one do you want? I got it. <laughs> I encourage yeah. him to do whatever he wants, but I'm like, oh, you want, you want Stella today? Who, which one do you want? I yeah. got 17 of them. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And I, I hadn't looked at myself in personalities, but I have the days of where I just want to be held and comforted and be somebody that is supported. And then the other days is fuck that. I'm conquering the world today. But I and, feel the and, same way. There's days I just want to be a fucking shit show. I'm so tired of holding it together. I'm so tired of not standing up for myself. I'm so tired of being controlled and disrespected. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm finally yes. comfortable in my relationship now. What's really nice is I can express to her, I'm tired of being the alpha. I'm tired of the one like dictating everything that needs to be done around the house and organizing everything. I would really love if somehow there's a just just more of a partnership. I don't I don't like being the the alpha and the strong. I love being strong. Don't get me wrong. It is exhausting being the person to dictate everything. It is exhausting being the one to organize everything, the one to carry all of the burden. And I very it's much. It's also terrifying to ask for. It really is. Our person to step up and allow us not to have to be that way. A hundred percent. As I always say, our partners aren't mind readers. Yes. And oh, that's family, that that's friends, that's anybody that's in your life. Whoever's partnering you in whatever situation you're in, they're not mind readers. Mm -hmm. And so the best advocacy 
is to really do it to death. Just, I need to talk about this. I know that when I share a trauma, when I'm like, especially Tiffany, I think with you, I'm, I am the same way. I am like, I'll keep coming back to the same point Mm -hmm. and I keep coming back to the same point. And I might say it 17 different ways, but I'm still talking about the one time. And it's, it is, it's because we don't, we don't understand that people can be there for us. Well, we'll continue to draw from like a bunch of different experiences. Oh, well, this happened in my life. This is why I'm like this. And then it's, you're going through your story and then like another memory pops up and we kind of squirrel and go that way. I think one thing I do continue to, I don't even know if I want to say struggle with is sometimes I want to just vent to vent. I don't like, it's the listening for solutions thing. Like you were saying in a previous podcast and I've gone through different companies and stuff like that. I've gone through, I don't, I guess, behavioral training, like Dan Miller training is, is a really big one. And that mm-hmm. was conferences that you could go to. And that was a huge eye opener for me. And that was actually towards the end of my first Dan abusive Miller. marriage. He was incredible, incredible human. And I gained a lot from that workshop of stop listening to respond. Just, just listen to people. And sometimes I can be complaining about a baby daddy, if you will. And my partner is, she's so ride or die for me. I've never had anybody like this ever in my life other than Jenna and a couple really good best friends. And, but it's sometimes she just gets so heated and so upset about the situation. And I'm like, no, I don't need you to go and talk about how the next time I see the motherfucker, I'm going to say something or Whatever. You're just stressing me out. I'm just, yeah, now you're stressing me out. Now I don't want you to ever be around them. I, I just want you to like listen to me and hear me and, and a little bit of comfort, whatever. I'm not necessarily looking for you to say anything. I'm, I just want to talk. And I have to do the same thing with her because I know that it's a bad habit of mine of somebody to be talking about something and be like, oh, I went through something similar. And so I could totally relate to you. It's, And it's not to take away from them. It's to show in my intent is to show vulnerability, but I'm kind of robbing them in the moment. It's hijacking the conversation, especially people that have people pleasing trauma. Like we've been through so much that we try and take their pain away and shoulder it on our own so that it's less for them. But we're robbing them of their story, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quite honestly, when it happens to me, a lot of time I shut down. Because I'm like, oh, well, there we go. It's not about yeah. me anymore. Yep. You know what I mean? And I, I, so it's so hard for me to already advocate for myself and tell you a story that if you like interrupt me in any way, I completely will disassociate. And it's very hard for me to get back. And then that feeling I get in my throat and in my chest, mm-hmm. I get tight. And I'm just like, oh, they don't care. And right. that's not true. That's not what they're meaning to do. But that's, it doesn't matter. It shadows it does. anything. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does for sure. But let's, I, I, this is my point is like having these things of having the communication before you have communication, having a safe word to get out of an emotional conversation. I talk about that quite a bit, giving boundaries and what you need as a conversation in the first place. It might be, Hey, Sarah, I have this thing that I want to talk to you about. I just need you to listen to me. I don't, I don't want the rest. Mm -hmm. I just need to be heard. And if you have questions, like, please ask them for for verification. A big thing I think with people with trauma is you're saying a story and you're saying it as, as how you've experienced, but we don't, we think that when we do this, the person that's listening to us is intoning and getting every single thing that we mean. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, they're like, 
I could be explaining it one way and I have a mirror of a partner listening and they, they're taking it a whole nother way. Mm-hmm. So it's really helpful when I'll have a partner that says, I'm, I'm so sorry, I just want to interrupt. I need clarification. And then reiterate what I said in their words so that I'm like, oh, fuck, no, that's not what I meant at all. Let me try and because I really want my partner to be in the best spot. Right. So it makes me feel so good when I have them reiterate what they, it shows me that they're listening. It shows me that I'm being validated, shows me that I'm being heard. I'm just not appropriately getting my, my point across or I am, but either way, it lets me know that I I am being validated. I am being heard or I need, I need to vent for solutions. So I want to say everything that I have to say. And with the exceptions of verification of what this meant, please hold all your questions for the end. Yeah. Because I can't have anybody come in while I'm having a trauma processed out loud out of, out of my mouth hole. Um, I have to say, I, th- I try to practice that a lot, especially when dealing with the now ex-girlfriend or whatever. I really just try to be like a sounding board for her. And I would be lying if I didn't say that it is super triggering for me and really hard sometimes. But I then have to just let her do her thing. And then I have to sit there and take inventory of, well, how did this affect me? It brings a lot of emotional things back up to the surface. And then I'm like, well, how do I deal with this? How do I walk through this? I feel like also the last like year and a half has been really big for me on facing my traumas head on and really acknowledging them and letting them out of the library catalog that I have compartmentalized everywhere. I think that's what's been the biggest thing is kind of like unlocking some of these and really sitting there and feeling them. And well, how can I process this now? Or what do I want to take away from it now? How do I want to be better going forward? Yeah. That's super important. Acknowledging as we're going through this journey of healing through all of the myriad of things that we've all been through individually. Acknowledging out loud what you're afraid of will reduce significantly the amount of power it has over you. So this is kind of what I mean about telling on ourselves, right? So if you're in a conversation, set the boundaries, Mm -hmm. state your needs and and stick to it. And then just, again, you got to be kind and gentle to yourself and understanding that we're all messy. We're all broken humans. And we need to love ourselves way more than we do and allow for failures. And remove the shame from all of these different things, honestly. For sure. For sure. And I'm glad that you're here talking about your story. I think it's right now a lot of people are going through many different challenges in the world. In my heart, I'm like reaching out to you and wanting to hug you. Thank you for sharing your story. I really do appreciate you being here. I'm going to turn this over to Jenna. I think I just wanted to also say thank you so much for being brave enough, honest, open, vulnerable, and willing to have these conversations. So many people don't feel like this is a reality, like they count, like they're the only ones going through these things. And we never know what's happening behind closed doors. We don't know how anybody was taught to deal with these things. So I just want to say to both of you, I adore both of you. I love both of you. Thank you for going on this journey with me today. And I just really appreciate all the sincerity, all the vulnerability, and just the chance that somebody hears this and it changes something for them, I think is absolutely huge. I'm going to (laughs) cry. No crying. No crying. Not today. 
all the hard stuff that we've been through. And if I had just, it's so easy to go back and say, if I had just said something 10 years ago, if I just said something 12 years ago, whatever that is, and that's the shame that's coming back. So I just want people to know that if you are going through this right now, reach out, try and find somebody that will listen to you. There are people that will listen to you. I know that you think that you're not enough. You are. You're always, you're always, always going to be enough. And just know that there are plenty of people that want to see you healthy and here and still alive and thriving. And there's a lot more, um, a lot more hope out there than I think we think sometimes. I wanted to say we will include numbers and resource information in our show notes. If you need help, please pick up the phone and call. They're there for you. They're out there to help us to be good humans. With that said, I will say go be good humans. Go be good humans, guys. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. You can listen to us on Spotify and iTunes and, of course, on our website at orgasmictourist.com. Please don't forget to help us out by sharing our podcast and leaving a five-star review. As always, you can send us an email with your questions and comments to orgasmictourist at gmail.com.